Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have one, you can look in your, under your seat. Hopefully there's one nearby you. Um, and I need, to, I need to begin uh, with a confession. Uh, it's happening. Uh, this, this is happening in my life. I, I need to, I need to uh, share with you a scenario that probably will sound familiar to some of you. Um, so you're sitting in your living room. You're comfortable in your recliner or couch or, or whatever. Down and you notice you've got to trim your fingernails. So you you got to go up to your bathroom and get the fingernail clippers. That's where you know fingernails are kept, right? So you've got to go up there. And so you get up and you're on your way to go get your fingernail clippers. And you look outside. It's getting dark. And you say, oh, I've got to put the lawnmower away before it gets dark, you know. And then that makes you think, I wonder if it's going to rain tonight. And that makes you think, I wonder if it's going to rain tomorrow. And tomorrow brings up that to-do list of things you want to remember to do. And so by this time, you walk into your bathroom and you just kind of stand there and you go, why did I come to my bath? Why, why did I come up here? It's happening. It's happening more and more. It sounds like it might be happening to you. The experience of losing your focus. So we are in the book of Philippians uh, this summer. And we're working our way through the... Um, the theme of our book is joy, and we want to focus on that. So this is, this is a letter from Paul to the church in Philippi. He's the author of the letter. He is in Rome. He is in prison. He's awaiting trial from uh, Caesar, who will decide whether he lives or dies. And we've already read in chapter 1 about how Paul is experiencing joy amidst his trial. Um, he is deciding to rejoice in his change because the gospel is spreading. He's instructing his readers to live in such a way that joy would be a byproduct. So as we begin chapter 2, there's some help here on keeping our joy focused as we journey on together. So let's read verses 1 to 11 here. So any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you uh, this day and uh, hearts are thankful for the wonderful, wonderful words of life that you have given to us uh, to know how uh, to follow you, um, to know how to, to worship you, to live our lives for you. And so, Lord, as we, uh, as we soak our hearts this morning in these words, we pray that you might plant that seed in our heart and that they, it would bear good fruit um, in our lives and in, in, in this place and in the places that we go from here. We love you, Lord. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, keeping our joy focused. Now, the one way to definitely focus on joy is by focusing on it. Joy is not something that we can manufacture. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of things going on on the outside of us. Or, if you're a Christian, it is the product of the Holy Spirit living within us on the inside. And so, in verses 1 to 4, Paul tells the Philippians and us... Uh, Where we can start to keep our focus. Keep your focus on the other. On the other. He begins by appealing to his readers to their relationship with God and their relationship with him. In in chapter 1, you know, he he has gushed over them. He's expressed his sweet nothings to the Philippian brothers and sisters. He put the gospel right in the middle of the, of the conversation there. He proclaimed that Christ was a theme of his life. And he made the Philippians a target for his love. So now we're in chapter 2 and he begins with a so what? You know, so because of this, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from God's love, if there's any participation in the spirit, these are signals that you have a life with God. So the Son of God is encouraging you on your way. The the love of God is comforting you in your troubles and trials. And the Spirit of God is empowering you to walk worthy of the gospel. So that is a life with God. If you have these experiences, you have a life with God. And that is a Trinitarian reason to follow the instructions that I'm about to give you, says Paul. And then he appeals to His relationship with them. He says, not only that, if I mean anything to you, if my chains mean anything to you, then complete my joy. Make my joy overflow. How? By being in loving agreement with me and with each other. You know, unity in the church is one of the witnesses that we give that Jesus Christ is real and really God. Unity. When we don't have it, we look like every other organization in the world. Now, I'm sure you're all familiar with the term church split. We've maybe heard horror stories about that, you know, where part of the body of Christ disagrees with another part of the body of Christ, usually over things that really don't matter much. 
and they separate. They claim irreconcilable differences for their justification and they leave each other mad and bitter and angry. Church split. I can confidently tell you the only person that has any joy over that is Satan. Jesus has other ideas for us. John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35 he says love each other. Love each other as I have loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And our lack of love for each other will prove the opposite. So this unity thing, this this culture that we're building, this together life is is got high stakes attached to it. How do we follow what Paul said here? How do we stay together? How do we stay on the same page? Well, Paul keeps going. Don't, don't do anything from selfish ambition or pride. Count others more significant than yourselves. Be, cons- be concerned about the interests of others while you're thinking about your own interests. Three things there. So if you want to keep the unity, you need to keep the focus on the other. On the other. Now, you can focus on the other in ways that aren't good. So we, we want to focus on the other like Paul's describing. So that means, you know, we're not going to focus on the other and be critical. We're not going to be judgmental. Uh, we're not going to be looking down from our, our lofty position. I can promise you there is no joy in sitting in a lofty position looking down. There's, there's no joy there. You know, I've told the kids before this, hey, you just worry about yourself. I'll worry about your brother. You know, and that's appropriate at, at times, right? You know, when, when you're focused on the other and it's not for their benefit or assistance or, or betterment. Um, but see, the church, the church cannot be a place where we're looking down, where we're being critical, where we're, you know, doing that. No joy there. No joy for us, no joy for others, and certainly no joy for God. So the focus here in this place is all about making sure other people are lifted up. Other people are honored, that they are helped, that they are loved and supported, they're included, connected, and encouraged. And when we can maintain and sustain that kind of culture, guess what the byproduct is? Joy. You're keeping your focus, that's good. So three things, three things that we can do to create that kind of atmosphere. The first one is to test your motive. Test your motive. So Paul mentions selfish ambition and pride there. So there's, there's no room in our together life for people to promote self or to do things for self. No room. No, no room to seek the spotlight. Uh, no room to run over people to get what you want. No, no room for that. It creates competition. Paul says do nothing from these motives. You don't even need to look the Greek word up on nothing, do you? I mean, you know what it means. There's no room. So you know that little itch that you've got, that, that everyone's got to be noticed, and to have, to have your name recognized, to, to get a pat on, on the back. You know, that little itch, um, you got to be careful with that little itch to not scratch it. Even the ones, they're like in the middle of your back. And it's just bugging you and you can't get to it. So you, you go up to somebody and you say, hey, Pastor Macron, come here. Can you scratch this itch? Did you see what I did there over there, Pastor? See what I did for Jesus? Paul says, don't do that. 
we were at Brookville Road this past week, um, there to, uh, attend David's, David Nolan's viewing and, uh, his service. And while we were in the, in the line waiting to see the Nolans, <clears throat> and please continue prayers for them and the Hope Center. It's, you know, they're, they've gone through this tragic loss, so, so keep praying. Um, but while we were there, I was standing there with Lucy and I was, I was feeling the need to make her aware that her dad made his mark at living at at, uh, at Brookville Road. So I would I was saying things to like, "Hey Lou, do you, do you see this floor here? That this gym floor? I picked it out. You see that screen up in the balcony up there, so the worship team can see the words. I I hung the screen. You know that corner over there in the corner of the cafe that says Connection Corner. I named it. You know, I, I was having some fun with her. But 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 part of me was scratching the itch that, that Lou would know that her dad did some significant things at, at Brookville Road, you know, and she was having none of it, so <laughs> so I stopped. We can do the same thing in our life, can't we? I mean, it's an itch that we have that we scratch. We don't, but the thing is, we don't do it for fun. We do it for real. Paul says, don't do it. Don't do it. So test your motives around here. Test your motives for why you're doing what you're doing. Everything that we do, everything that we say, we want to be in service to our king for the betterment of other people. Nothing we do should be for ourselves. That's the instruction that Paul's given. And we will work at developing that kind of heart attitude. When we work at that, we will have a big big influence on our together life. We will have a big witness for Jesus. So the first one is test your motives. The second one is count others more important than yourself. Now, let's face it. Out there, there are people that are more important than others. I mean, they've got bigger responsibility, they've got weightier decisions, they've got official titles, they've got big offices, and they've got bigger authority. So out there, some people are more important than others. But in here, it's different. Everybody is the same. No one person is more important than the next. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. And so that's the culture that we want to create. We all have the same value to God, our Heavenly Father. And so no one person is more important than the rest. So the, the thing is, since we live most of our lives out there where we got that important thing going on, when we come in here, we got to be a little intentional about doing this, about counting others more important than ourselves. So you can look to the person to the right and the person to the left that you're sitting with and you can say to yourself, they're more important than me. Their comfort's more important. Their service is more important. They are more significant. They are more crucial to this place than I am. They're more special. And this is going exactly the opposite of everything in our society. You know, social media is not about other people being important. It is about us being important and looking important and being liked and getting loved. And it's all fake. It's not real. In here, it's real. You get what you need, what your heart needs in here. So out there, lots of that going on. In here, we don't want any of it going on. And we want to be 
the same. We want to treat others more important than ourselves. And oh man, if we could get this right, my gosh, what a witness we would have for Jesus Christ, that he is real and really God. What would it do to our conflicts, to our disagreements, how we disagree with each other, if we would consider, you know, what's more important for them to be right than it is for me. What would it do? You know what it would do? Church split would be a word of the past, like swell. That was the only one I could think of. So people would come in here. People would come in here and they would be treated with the utmost love and respect, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they smell like, no matter where they've been the night before. They would get treated just like anybody else, no matter what their job title is, no matter what kind of car they drive. See, in here, we got to test our motives. We got to count others more significant than ourselves. These are two things that happen on the inside of us. But they position our heart for the third thing, and that is to help another out. Help another out. So we be, we're on the lookout when, you, when you're thinking this way. When you're thinking, this is not about me, this is about them. You start seeing places. God shows you places that you can love on people, that you can lift people up, that you can help somebody out. So, you know, you're leaving the good parking spaces for somebody else. You're parking away from the building or parking at Meyer. You know, you're leaving the good seats for somebody else. So you're sitting up front in the middle. So people who come later can find a seat. We need to really start doing that, actually. <clears throat> You need you serving in the nursery, giving the mamas a little break from the love work that they're doing all the time. You know, those those kind of things. We're being last. We're being in, invisible. We're being helpful. We're being available. We're being intentional. And we're being focused. When we do it, God will show us people in here who we can help, who we can lift up, who we can honor, who we can pat on the back without them asking for it. We can love on people. When we do that, what happens? You know what happens in here? Joy. It'll be a life-giving culture and a joy-filled place. And then you know what happens when you go out there? You'll be doing the same thing that you're doing in here. You'll be lifting other people up. And you'll have a chance to talk about Jesus. Chush. Can you say that word? Chush. I'm having a hard time saying that word. Well, chush is a school... In Brooklyn, New York, that caters to the learn, learning disabled. And they were having a, a fundraising dinner. And a father of a Chush student was giving us a speech at the dinner. And it was this unforgettable speech. And he, be, he began with applauding the staff and extolling them, thanking them for their service and the sacrifice that they made to, to teach these kids. And then he stopped and he said, where is the perfection in my son Shea?" You know, he can't learn like other kids learn. He can't remember facts and figures like other kids do. He said, God does things with perfection. Where's the perfection in my son, Shea? And he sort of paused. And like he could feel like nobody was breathing. And so he answered. He said, you know what? I believe when God creates a child like my son, he's not looking for perfection in him, but he's looking, in perf- he's looking for perfection in the ones that relate to him. And then he tells a story. He said he and Shea were walking past a park one day. And then Shea looks over and sees some boys playing baseball. And he looks up at his dad. He said, Dad, do you think they'll let me play? He said, I don't know, son, but I can go ask. 
And he said, so I was walking on the field and just thinking none of these boys is going to want Shea on their team. Um, but I, I know that if they if he gets a chance to play, it will be this wonderful sense of belonging for him. So he went up to the dugout and he asked one of the boys if his son could play. And one of the boys looked at his team for some guidance and then he said, well, we're behind by six runs and we're in the eighth inning. I guess he can be on our team. We'll try to put him up to bat in the ninth inning. And so in the eighth inning, so wait, Shea here, take a glove, run out to center field, play out there. In the eighth inning, his team scores some runs, and they're down by three going in into the ninth inning. And then they get another run going into the ninth inning, and um, it's Shea's turn to go to bat. Now, he, he gets up. He, he, it, when it's his turn to bat, the bases are loaded, and there's two outs, and they're behind by two runs. So the dad's standing there going, I can't believe they're giving him the bat. I mean, everybody knows it's all but impossible for Shea to get a hit. He doesn't even know how to hold the bat, let alone swing it. So Shea steps up up to the plate, and the pitcher lobs this slow ball across the plate, and Shea just kind of swings clumsily, and, and he misses it. And then one of the teammates comes out of the dugout, and he walks up to Shea, and he puts his arm around him, and he, he helps him hold the bat, and they wait for the next pitch. So the pitcher does the same thing. He just kind of lobs it in there. And, and this time they swing together and they get, a, they get a hit. And it's just this slow ground ball right back to the pitcher. And so the pitcher picks it up. And he could have very easily thrown it to first base and got the game winning out. But what does he do? He takes it and he throws this high flying arcing ball out into the right field where nobody could get it. And he turns to Shea and says, run to first, Shea, run to first. Shea had never run to first in his entire life. So he starts running down the baseline. He's got this big smile on his face, and he gets to first base. And by that time, the right fielder has the ball. So he, instead of throwing it to the second baseman, which he could have very, very easily done, he throws it all the way over the third baseman's head. Run to second, Shea. Run to second. Shea runs to second. When he gets to second base, the opposing shortstop turns him toward third and says, run to third. And by this time, all the other players had rounded you know, and gone home. So Shea is running, when he gets around third base, the entire two teams are chasing him, going, Run home, Shea! Run home! And Shea ran home. And when he got there, 18 boys lifted him up on their shoulders and made him the hero of the game because he just hit a grand slam to win the game for his team. That is the kind of church we want to have. Where others are considered more important than ourselves. Where we help each other out in that way, even at the expense of ourselves. And we do that by focusing on the other to their benefit. And in return, there'll be a lot of joy. Joy for us, joy for each other, and joy for our Heavenly Father. Keep your focus on the other. Now, I fully realize... That there are some people um, that it is easier to count more important than yourselves, than others. You know, it, it's easier to look out for people that we like, or to look out people, look out for people that we respect, people that look like us, people that sound like us, people that worship like us, people that vote like us. You know, all those people. It, it, it's easier to do this with them, but it's those other people that make this more difficult those difficult people those different people 
And when this is hard, when it's hard to focus on the other, what we want to do is remember to focus on the example that we've been given in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Because it is those different and difficult people that make this together life something special, the way they get treated. And so we have this incredible example of what Jesus has done for us. Paul begins there in verse 5, have the same attitude, the same mind as Jesus had. Who being God didn't hold on to his position, but he let go of his power and his, and his glory and became a man. That is the greatest example of downward mobility that, you know, that was ever given. The greatest step down that anyone has has ever taken. If you think about it, the king became a pauper. You know, Jesus left heaven to come to earth. He stepped out of eternity and into history. Our God became our slave. Biggest step down. Now, these verses um, are home to some of the great doctrinal debates in church History And, you know, they're probably verses from a poem or maybe a hymn that was sung at the time. But these verses help shape our doctrine of what we call the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That he was fully God and he was fully man all at the same time. <clears throat> now, if you look in the Bible, there's ample evidence in the Gospels just alone that Jesus was real and that he was human. Uh, they give. Uh, they say that Jesus got hungry and he got tired. Um, he cried. He sweat. He bled. Uh, he experienced human emotions like anger and sorrow. So there's ample evidence for Jesus' humanity. Sources outside the Bible and history, like Josephus, the Jewish historian, they talk. He talks about Jesus as well. And so if you believe your Bible and you believe your history, you've got solid ground to stand on that Jesus was fully man. But it's the other part of this doctrine that's kind of hard to figure out. His divinity, his equality with God. How does that merge with his, with his humanity? Now, John opens his gospel in John 1.1. He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in verse 14 tells us who the, the word was. He said, and he came and the word came and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory of the son, the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. So John, you know, very plainly right there in the first paragraph of his gospel, Jesus is God. Jesus is man. And then Paul's words then come in and they kind of lend support to that doctrine. These are just a couple of places that you can look. But what we're end up, what we're in, what we end up with is this mysterious but essential doctrine of our faith. That Jesus was fully God and fully man. Listen, he had to be God. Or the sacrifice that he, that he was going to make would not have been sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. If he wasn't God, if he wasn't perfect, then that blood wouldn't have been sufficient to forgive sin. He also had to be a man because if he never was, he couldn't make the sacrifice that was necessary for forgiveness of sin. So he had to be both. If your Jesus isn't fully God and fully man, 
then you don't have the right Jesus. What you're trusting in is something different than the Bible teaches us. Jesus is either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic because of the things that he said and did. Which is he? He can't just be a good teacher. Can't just be a good teacher. So there's debate here. There's debate over Paul's words. And we read there, uh, what does being in the form of God mean? It doesn't sound like he's saying, you know, Jesus is God. He says he's in the form of God. And I encourage you that if those kind of questions come up, go do some homework on that because you can find some answers sufficient to those questions really pretty quickly. And I'm not going to spend any time there, but those questions are there. Instead of arguing about the words, what they do or don't say, I want us to just appreciate the example that we have been given that Jesus has done. Eternal God stepped out of heaven, became a man. The biggest step ever taken down, a, a lowly man. So as followers of Christ, if we think about it, that's our example, but we will never take a step down that big. In our life, we'll never take that kind of of a step. So how do we treat those different, difficult others? We look to our example. We keep our focus on the example we have been given there. Now, how does that produce joy? Well, the hymn keeps going. Jesus didn't just step down to earth. He stepped down further than that. Uh, He gave himself Um, to the most painful, excruciating death a person could have. He, He was hung on a cross. He was hung there naked in shame after being whipped to the point of death. He hung there. And then you think about why. Well, it wasn't for anything he did. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. It wasn't for his sins that he was there. It was for our sins, the sins of mankind. And see, when you realize this, that you were the reason that Jesus took the downward mobility step. When you realize that you are the answer to the why questions of the cross. When you realize that. If it was just you who needed to be saved from your sins, he would have still done that. That changed your life. I mean, it changes your life when you realize the God of the universe sent his only son for you to be saved from your sins, to be saved from eternal death. So that you could be with him forever. And and all he says is, believe in me. You don't have to do anything to make up for your sins. You don't, Just believe in me. And when you believe in the Lord, he comes into your life. And he begins to lead you in a whole new kind of life where you're stepping down. You're stepping down. So when you look at the cross and you know that that was for you personally, when you focus on the example that Jesus gives us of how to love people, think about this. Is there a person in your life or anyone that you could meet that you could not count more significant than yourself? That cross was because of me. How could I not consider others more important? And there's joy in that. There's joy in that. 
Pastor Wayne Cordero, he writes about a friend of his named Gene. And uh, he said, Gene and I take uh, lunch about every week. And every time we go, Gene's saying to me, hey, I want to pick up the tab. And so I thought that was nice of him. And, um, you know, I, I thought maybe it was his ministry. And, and so for the first 80 times or so, I let him t- pick up the tab. Uh, but then, I, you know, I started to ask, you know, Gene, is it okay? Can I pay today? You know, you're always picking up the tab. He said, no, 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 I got, the, I got it. I, I'm picking up the tab. And so one time in a week, I went early to the restaurant, and I went up to the waitress who serves us, and I said, hey, when the bill comes, can you bring it straight to me? And she laughed, and she said, oh, yeah, Gene thought you might do this. <laughs> I can't give it to you. He wants to pick up the tab. So I sat down and I said to Gene, 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 please, would you let me pick up the tab? He said, no, no, I'll pick up the tab. I said, Gene, I am, I am, I'm wanting to do this. I'm wanting to pick up the tab. He said, no. Gene, I am longing to pick up the tab. Gene, I am dreaming about picking up the tab. He said, no, no, I'm going to pick up the tab. And to this day, I've never picked up the tab for lunch. Listen, listen. Jesus has picked up your tab, not once, not twice, not 80 times, but thousands of times he's picked up your tab. And because of that relationship, you begin to feel compelled to start living the way he lived. He is our example. We love because he first loved us. Not because it's a good way to live, not because we learned it in Sunday school, not because we get points for it, not because we get blessing from God for living that way. No, we love because he first loved us. First John four nineteen. Jesus is our motivation. So we have to keep our focus on the example that we have been given. You know, every time you feel that Jesus is picking up your tab, every time you get that sense... That you go to him and confess your sins and he forgives you and he picks you up. He dusts you off and says, come on. What happens is tears of repentance. But then what happens is tears of joy. Lots of joy. So keeping our focus on his example is how we overcome ourselves and are able to follow Paul's instructions of keeping our focus on the other. No matter what the other looks like or how they how they act. So Paul finishes his words here about Jesus with some amazing words. Um, another place for us to focus. Keep your focus on the worship. Keep your focus on the worship. So because of what Jesus did, God lifted him up uh, and made his name greater than any other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every person in heaven, on earth, and in the ground is going to bow the knee to him. Every person. And not only that, every tongue Every mute tongue, every stubborn tongue, every sacrilegious tongue, every faithful tongue, every tribe, every language is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. Now, I'll tell you, as a person who loves to worship Jesus with his church family, I'm really looking forward to this worship service. I mean, I cannot wait for the day when this happens. I can promise you 
brothers and sisters, your faith is not on shaky ground. You know, there is no worry that you've placed all of your trust for this life and the next in Jesus' basket. No worry. There's nothing that will ever prove him wrong. Nothing that will ever come out that says he's a hoax. There's nothing that will ever be dug up from the ground that will disprove this Bible or discredit who we're believing in. Nothing. This day is a certainty. It is down the road somewhere. It is coming. We just can't put it on our calendar like we can VBS or the Jubilee But I'll tell you what. It's on God's calendar. And it's coming. And there will never be any other name higher than Jesus. So when you think about that future day, as a follower of Christ, there's joy from that day. But there's also joy for the present day. And that's because every single day that we wake up that he gives us, every single day we've got a chance to live out that future day. Every single day we can bow the knee and worship to Jesus by following his example and focusing on the other and speaking his name every single day. And when you focus on the worship of Jesus with the way that you live, you know what happens at the end of the day? Joy. Now, most people have never heard of the NFL running back, Tony Richardson. And that's because his primary role in the NFL involved making other running backs successful. He blocks so they can run. He's, he had a, a career of 17 pro football seasons, and so teams would pair Richardson with some of the most um, talented running backs uh, that have ever run in the NFL. And so in 2001, he was slated to be the main guy for the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tony goes to uh, one of his teammates, whose name was Priest Holmes, and he said, listen, I need to be getting out of the way here. You need to be getting the ball. I'm going to commit myself to making you successful, to making you be all that you can be. And Priest Holmes led the league in rushing for three consecutive years with Tony uh, leading the way. <clears throat> and and priest, priest says, he says this, he says, he used to call me up and say, I just saw you on Sports Center. He said, he was happier for me than I was for myself. And so, you know, all the other running backs that Richardson helped succeed, they contend that his influence went beyond just what was going on, these opening up these holes on the field for them to run to. He would constantly be encouraging them throughout the game. He would be challenging them. He would be lifting their spirits. He'd be inspiring them, all of that. I heard that story, and I got to wondering about Tony a little bit. So I was doing a little research. Just wondered. See, a believer... I found this interview he, he did. He said, people had always thought that I was an honorable man. They thought that I had it all together, and for a while I did too. He said, I went to church and I knew the word, but I wasn't living it. And because I wasn't living it, I, I felt this emptiness inside. And once I gave everything to the Lord, I discovered my purpose in life is to share what God has done for me and to bring people to Christ. As a single and celibate Christian athlete, I had many opportunities to share with people how joyful and wonderful the journey of faith is. Where does the joy come from? 
as an NFL running back, when it's not your name being spoken on SportsCenter or getting written in the record books, it comes from living your life as a worship offering to Jesus every single day. So, when you're focusing on the other, because you're focusing on the example, you will end up living a life focused on the worship of Jesus. And when you get to the end of it, you're going to say, like Tony says there, that it is a joyful and wonderful journey. Let's have our worship team back. There's some high calling in that, in those verses there. Have you lost your focus? You know, you're standing in your bathroom going, why am I here? <clears throat> have, have things kind of crept in into your life that have distracted you from the reason that you are here? Well, listen, if you've lost your focus, you can get it back right here and right now. We're going to worship together. We're going to sing only King forever. We're going to lift up Jesus. We're going to focus, put everything right back on on him this morning. Now listen, if you're here today and you've never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that worship service in the future that I talked about is not going to be a day of joy for you. It is going to be a day of sorrow and agony and terror. And that day, it's on God's calendar and it's coming. It may be coming fast. We don't know. But what we do know is God's given us this day. And this day is on his calendar too. And he calls this day the day of salvation. So it's his grace that he woke us up today, that he gave us another opportunity to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. He got you here this morning. Here's an opportunity. Say, you know what? If I've never done that before, if I've never just put my entire life in his hands, I need to do that. And if you need to do that, I want to invite you to come up after the service and just talk to me. And here's what we'll do. We'll bow the knee together. And we'll talk to God. And we'll ask Jesus to forgive you and he will forgive you. We'll ask him to come into your life and he will come into your life. We'll ask him to change you and he will change you. We'll ask him to lead you out there to a whole different life. And he will lead you out there to a whole different joy-filled wonderful journey of faith so let's stand together and worship if you need to do that this morning don't leave without talking to me we're going to pray here um, but here's i want to ask you if you are serving at vbs i want you to sit down because you're not going to sit down the rest of the day all right now if you're still standing you've been recruited for the prayer team all right so we need you to start praying uh, that this place will be a place of life and light for everyone that comes in and love. Uh, pray that uh, Jesus will be lifted up and will draw all people to himself and that our hearts will be open to believing in him today. Pray this is fertile ground for the gospel this week. Um, but bef- before you, that's, that's your prayer request for going out. But let's lay hands on the people that are sitting down, if you would, and we'll pray for them here as we close the service. So find somebody that's sitting down and lay your hands on them and we'll ask God's blessing and strength for them. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, um, we come to you as uh, your sons and daughters, your children. And we hear this word today and we hear the, 
the, the challenge of it and we hear the, the, the difficulties in, in living it out, but we realize that the, the kind of church that you want us to have is the kind that uh, shows love like your son loved, where he was all about lifting others up, helping them. And so, Lord, we pray for your grace and your spirit to fill us for that purpose, that this would be a place that brings you a smile when we gather and joy among us and through us. Lord, tonight we are excited about beginning a week-long VBS ministry to this community, and we're excited about those 25 kids that are signed up to come. We're praying for all of them and their hearts and their families that we'll get to meet them and connect with them, Lord. But we right now want to pause and and just pray over those that have uh, decided to, to show up every night for the next five nights and to serve you. Uh, by serving others through this VBS. So we pray, Lord, that you'd give them energy, that your light would shine through them, that they would have that experience, that your spirit is bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, we offload any worries right now. We we let, let you have the burdens of the ministry. We pray, Father, that you would just pick us up and carry us through the week and do things that are not explainable using us. We ask for your, uh, for your strength and encouragement to Tanya and to Lori as they lead us. Um, we pray for the worship team. We pray for the teachers. We pray for the small group leaders, the snack people, the craft people. That this would be that place, that together life, that people come and feel immersed in your presence and love and it becomes life-changing. It's for you. We want to honor you and lift you up and we can't do that without your spirit enabling us. So spirit, bless these that are sitting, bless these that are standing. Send us out in your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Now all God's people say, Amen. Amen.